most people know the difference between a good sports fan and a bad sports fan. The good ones, they enjoy their team, they don't lose their minds at every win and loss. The bad ones, they are the type that throw batteries at the players. But there is a secret, insidious bad sports fan lurking in the shadows. The we need to fan. Granted, these are not battery levels of bad fan. They're not, I don't know, I don't even want to name other examples of bad fan actions, but they are someone who is deeply frustrating for those of us that like to have normal human discussions about sports. The we need to fan, it's exactly what it sounds like. They always say their team needs to do X, Y, or Z without any regard for what that would actually entail in you know the real human world. A prime example, Raptors fans recently that say we need to just bring in a seven-foot center that can also shoot threes, that can protect the rim, and that can defend the perimeter. Do these players exist? Sure. Bam out of bio. Uh, I mean, if you want to be generous, Brooke Lopez. <laughs> but do these players exist for Chris Boucher, Gordon Dragic, and a first-round pick? I'm going to go with definitely not. It's fine to be optimistic about your team. It's even fine to be homeristic about your team, although, you know, don't expect people to enjoy talking with you in that case either. But if you are expecting to have a reasonable dialogue with someone about your team, having a basis in reality is always a good start. And speaking of needs, you need to listen up for another episode of High Floor, Low Ceiling. Oh, do you, do you, do you want to talk? <laughs> I you keep asking me if I want to talk. This is to, the intro to the episode. Now. Yeah, but the, the past couple episodes, you've been throwing me on the spot with intros and epi- outros. Our first five episodes, you did all the intros and outros, and now you keep throwing them to me. Well, I just I, I, I heard you inhale as if you were about to launch into welcoming everyone to another episode of High Floor, Low Ceiling with myself, Chris Hausenjan, and Griffin Porter. Yes. Griffin. What what's wrong? You don't like doing the intros? I don't know. You're so good at the intros. Every time I'm listening back to our episodes and you do an intro, it really feels like a great podcast is about <laughs> to get underway. And then you continue to listen, and and then I start speaking. And the truth is revealed. Yeah. Um, speaking of great podcasts, I mean, like, I, I don't want to toot our own horn, but how great was last week's episode with Mitch Bannon? Yeah, that was fantastic. Uh, thanks again to Mitch for coming by. If you haven't caught that one. Yet, go back in the feed, make sure you do. We talk MLB awards. All those winners were announced just yesterday, yeah. and we did pretty well. Yeah, we should have gone back. I'm pretty sure I'm like batting a thousand so far. Uh, I remember I, we, I talked about Kevin Cash, and he took home the uh, AL Manager of the Year over Cervase uh, from the Mariners. Yeah, you and Mitch both called Corbin Burns for the NL Cy Young. I went with Max Scherzer, so I was utterly humiliated there. Mm-hmm. And there's a great joke about uh india so go back and listen to that he took home the nl rookie of the year uh let's just and we're going to talk about him later in the show but robbie ray taking home that al cy young by a uh not a very narrow margin i will no, say as he should have been very well deserved for robbie ray sure. congratulations for him blue jays blue jays turned out a lot of cy young winners robbie ray is the fourth blue jays pitcher to ever win the cy young i believe their fifth total cy young mm-hmm. funny enough none of those five cy young years have ever coincided with a playoff year 
So I don't know what that tells you if you're a Blue Jays fan, but still, it's a good it's a good club to be joining. I guess so. The Blue Jays Cy Young winners. I suppose so. Could be a good omen. Robbie Ray, sort of the Roger Clemens of his time. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I'm not even gonna let that stand as a joke. Roger Clemens might be the greatest pitcher who ever lived. Robbie wow. Ray walked like six guys per nine innings one year ago. Sure, uh, that was a joke to be clear. Uh, but we'll we'll come back to baseball and we'll come back to starting pitchers and even Robbie Ray himself. But to start off the show, we're going to uh, put our put our sticks on the ice, if you will, and we're going to talk a little hockey. It's a uh, I feel like I'm being very brave by venturing back into the hockey world. This is maybe more your uh, purview, but we're going to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. We haven't checked in on them since the start of the season. We're about, we're in the 15 to 20 game range for most teams at this point. Uh, And the Maple Leafs have, after a, after a slow start, certainly they have come out and looked quite strong. They're currently 11-5-1. They hold 23 points on the uh, weird hockey ranking system. They are two points behind Florida for the lead in the Atlantic Division. They're four clear of Tampa behind them. The division on the whole, more competitive than we expected, Griffin, in terms of you know Buffalo and Detroit, I think you would say, are the two teams that maybe were not expected to really be in the mix and are both around 500 right now. Yeah, it's been a fun year in the NHL so far. A couple surprising results, both good teams being bad and bad teams being good. But those Leafs, they are white hot lately. I believe their last win made it nine out of their last ten. And uh, praise Jack Campbell, because without him, the NHL leader in goals against average, who knows where this team would be. They're not getting quite the offensive production that you would expect. But Jack Campbell, doesn't matter to him. He just keeps winning them hockey games. Yeah, the, the really interesting thing, actually, as I was sort of looking at the numbers for the Leafs, is they actually could be better than what they've shown so far. I mean, I think to a certain extent, you're going to expect some regression from Jack Campbell. He has definitely continued to impress this year, uh, has been talked about, you know, as a Vezina Trophy candidate. But I was looking at the underlying numbers. They are fairly average in goals for and against. I think they're right around the, you know, 10 to 15 range in both of those categories. Uh, on their current streak, they're five and zero in one goal games, which you know, you know, one goal games, one run games, five point games in basketball. You tend to think that those tend to be influenced by luck to some degree, right? Definitely, yeah. So there are some worrying trends there, but I do think that the Leafs will be okay. They the offense will get better. Yeah, like the offense has been fine to start the year. They've been getting some good depth scoring, which is a good sign. But the big guys will pick up eventually. Like, they're still generating good shots, especially on this streak. I don't... Like, Campbell's been great for them, and he's been a big reason that they're winning. But it's not like they've been being outshot by 20, and he's been stealing them games. Yeah, like I was saying, the those underlying numbers, they are quite high ranking in terms of, you know, the sort of expected goal percentage and the, I don't know, shot percentage and things of that nature. Uh, or, sorry, their shot percentage is actually quite low. Like, I think it's around... 15 to 20th in the league so they are generating even better chances than you know they have been in terms of potting goals so you would expect that offense to pick up the big thing has been the power play and the penalty kill which were huge uh, uh black black marks red mark black marks right they black, were bad they were last bad year. last year yes and so and they're now you know near the top of the league in power play scoring right now so that's huge for them um 
as you said, winners of nine of their last 10. They had, I think that probably maybe like the signature win of their year so far has was the 4-0 win against Vegas. Uh, they had, so they had, they had a nice little three-game streak, which sort of, you know, uh, legitimized them to some degree. The 4-0 win against Vegas, they had an overtime win against Tampa, and then the 5-2 win against Boston. And then they followed that up with a 5-1 loss to the Los Angeles Kings, who are better than expected, to be fair. Yeah, no, the Kings have looked good, but that streak against, like you said, three, I think what some people would say, preseason Stanley Cup contenders against mm-hmm. Vegas, Boston, and the Lightning, that to me was when I stopped worrying about the Leafs because when they had that bad start, everyone was running around like a chicken with a head cut off. Trade everyone. Dubas era is over. The Shanna plan's a bust. But as always, things regress to the mean. That's my big, uh, that's my probably my central tenant in all of sports, Chris. Things regress to the mean. Yeah. People tend to overreact. The Leafs are a good hockey team, and now they're playing like it. Yeah. So between how bad they look to start the season and how good they've been in their last 10 games that are you are you trending more do you think that they obviously like you said people will tend to regress to the mean i don't think that they will be winning 90 percent of their games for the rest of the season do you see them as a team that will probably you know fall back into the mix with a tampa and a boston or do you do you think that they'll maybe continue to distinguish themselves at the near the top of the pack because Florida, you know, we did talk about them as a potential division winner, but I think they are surprising people with just how good they've been, especially, you know, losing their coach early on. Yeah, Florida has really been off to a white-hot start. They've won 11 of their 16 games this year. Wow. Um, oh, yeah, we, we bring the hard-hitting stats here on High Florida. Oh, I, just, I, didn't, I didn't have that written down, and I'm just, I'm, it's great that you pulled that out after I put you on the spot. Yeah, so the Panthers have really been good. I expect maybe not the Leafs dropping down to the Tampa Bay level, but Tampa Bay catching up to them. Tampa Bay's four points behind, but the Leafs have played three more games. Mm-hmm. They've basically got the same point percentage. So those, I think, would you'd have to bet would be the top three seeds to come out of the Atlantic. I've not been impressed by the Boston Bruins. I think that they've taken a step back this year. Mm-hmm. So those, I think, you would circle as the three in the Atlantic. Uh, so I'm still feeling good about the Leafs. I think that this recent team, maybe they won't stay this hot all year, but that's much closer to the true Toronto Maple Leafs than the ugly team we saw to start. Yeah, certainly getting a lot of performances you know, from the guys that you would expect to be their top performers. Uh, you mentioned Jack Campbell earlier. Let's talk about that a little more. There is always that uncertainty with goalies, that inconsistency, you know, through that the 40 game stretch, you would say, you know, about 15 games this year and about 25 last year that he's sort of slotted in as that the one a, if you will, uh, as a goaltender, do you think that how confident do you feel? I guess from one to 10, let's say, how confident do you feel in Jack Campbell continuing to produce, continuing to be one of, you know, if not one of the best goalies in the, in the conference or in the league as a whole, uh, to, to be an upper tier, let's say, all-star type goalie? I think Jack Campbell absolutely has the ability. What he showed over the course of last season and this season is no fluke. He's a great goaltender. My concern is that he's literally never played more than 31 games in an NHL season in his entire career, Mm. whether it was because he was serving as a backup in Los Angeles or because he's been injured. Uh, The guy has durability issues for sure. 
I hate to say anything negative about Jack Campbell because he appears by all accounts to be the nicest person to ever walk the planet, but that's the one problem with Jack Campbell is that he can't stay on the ice, and so that's something I'm concerned about with how hard the Leafs have been riding him with their lack of a backup. That old problem, back again for the (laughs) Toronto Maple Leafs. And we saw what happened with Frederick Anderson a few years ago. The Leafs didn't have a backup. They rode Freddie into the ground. He got injured, and he was never the same after until he went to Carolina this year and became a star again. But that's beside the point. I'm afraid that Jack Campbell will suffer some kind of injury. I believe he already has this year, missed a couple games. Um, so that is a major area of concern for me. Yeah, and, you know, Peter Morazic, obviously that deal has really, that's been like, if you want to talk about black marks on the team, that's maybe been the black mark of their overall offseason roster construction. Is is that an area you think that they need to like address right away in terms of, you know, backup goaltending, finding some support? Because, you know, with Morazic injured and the other, you know, depth pieces of goaltending not really doing much, it does feel like, you know, something has to give one way or the other, right? Yeah, I'm surprised that Peter Morazic has looked so awful this year. He was a good goalie in Carolina, and I had high hopes for him. I sort of expected, if you had asked me at the start of the year, I would have been in the camp that maybe Jack Campbell would take a bit of a step back and Morazic would sort of emerge at least as his equal. So that's been troubling for me for sure. And like we said, when you have a goalie who's had a history of injuries like Jack Campbell, you don't want to run him out there for 70 games because you have no one else who can hold down the fort to give him a night off. So I wouldn't mind them taking a look. One person who I wouldn't mind consider my favorite Leaf of the last 15 years, maybe. He's playing goalie fantastically for the San Jose Sharks right now, but I expect they'll drop out of a playoff spot as the season goes on. Let's take a look at James Reimer. Let's bring him Mm. home. That, I think, would be a great compliment to Jack Campbell. That would make my day. So I'm just throwing that out there. James Reimer coming back to the Leafs. Yeah, it does. I think the big thing is that it doesn't feel like you know, you, you can place some faith in Jack Campbell being strong. Maybe you can't place faith in him being, you know, consistent and a big, you know, an innings eater, if you will, to use a, a baseball analogy. He does feel like a guy who you want, like, a high-quality backup behind him. It won't be a case of where it's, like, you know, a, even like a Grubauer-type player where, you know, you have them as the clear number one and then you have a number two behind them. I think he maybe works better as you know keep him fresh keep him in a tandem with another goalie who when he is in net you're not sort of writing off the game in that case exactly now defense that's you know obviously you know I've often said that the goalie is the last line of defense in a hockey game what do you think about that I think that's true I that reminds me of an old phrase where the goal your most important penalty killer is your goalie a good goalie can make a bad defense or a bad team look very good wow you know, I I was I was making a joke, bad observation, but that is very well said on your part. Oh, thank um, you. The Morgan Riley TJ Brody pairing has been quite strong. You know, they they look good in terms of you know Morgan Riley's producing. He obviously signed that extension, and I think they're pretty happy with how he's produced so far this season. Quite happy, maybe you could even if you want to. You know, really, uh, we don't hedge here, but if you want to make a declarative statement, I think they're quite happy with that. That's the level of happy you're going to go with? (laughs) Quite happy? Okay, it's bold. (laughs) I would even Uh, say maybe substantially happy, but that, I think, is getting a little crazy. I think if you really wanted to go out there, you could describe them as pleased. (laughs) Oh. But, yeah, so. No punches pulled on this episode. uh, That top line has been really strong, I'd say. 
but I think they're they are still fielding some questions about the defensive depth, which you know have always been there for the last you know five years or however long. Do you think that's something that needs addressing or that they should be prioritizing, or is are they sort of in an acceptable spot for you for the time being with you know Rasmus Sandin and things people like that? Yeah, I'm happy with the defense as is. I know that like the Muzzin-Hall pairing has looked a little shaky to start the year, but I think that they'll be able to bounce back. I think they've looked better recently, and those are two great defensemen, Jake Muzzin in particular. And then Sandine and Lilligren and Dermot, that sort of trio for that final pairing, I've been happy with all that. So I'm not too concerned about the Maple Leafs defense. I thought last year it was much, much improved, and this whole thing where that was the problem with the team was dead and gone, and I think that uh, this year they'll continue to look just as good, if not better, as Rasmus Sandin continues to really impress. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, if you're looking down, you know, at, like, at the third defensive pairing, I think it's fair to say that it is, you do feel more encouraged or more secure in that sort of, that that trio that you mentioned, uh, compared to, you know, when you were looking down to the third pair in years past, certainly. Like I mentioned earlier, they have been getting a lot of contribution from, you know, their big four offensive players, Matthews, Tavares, Marner, and now Nylander, you know, starting maybe in the the back half of last year, you'd say he sort of emerged as being, if not on par with that group of three that was always sort of talked about as the big three, he's at least, you know, in the same conversation, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. I think William Nylander, you could make a case he's been their best player this year. Yeah. It's a it it is a conversation. I, I you know we're gonna talk about the team's MVP this year, and I think he does deserve to be in that conversation. Um, would, is is he the guy that stands out to you as as the bright spot of those four? You know, Austin Matthews obviously missed uh, a couple games early on, and then has been you know point per game since coming back. Yeah, Austin Matthews has looked great, as we know he always does. Uh, John Tavares, I've really been happy with as he's returned from that horrible injury in the playoffs last year. I think he's looked quite like his old self. So that's great. But yeah, I think Nylander and even Mitch Marner, Mm -hmm. who had that rough start to the year, didn't score for a long time. He's starting to look more like himself as well. I'm so glad to see him getting his confidence back. And I mean, with Marner, the problem's always been between the ears. And he hear. I think he hears all the noise that people throw at him. So I'm so glad to see him playing like the player we know he can be. But yeah, I think the clear answer for me, at least from those four, has been William Nylander. He's been fantastic. He's been clutch. He's been really great on that pairing with John Tavares, and I've loved watching him play, and it feels like the Leafs are better whenever he's out on the ice. Yeah, it feels like the way that they have sort of set up the lines, especially like when everyone's healthy in the lineup, like those first and second lines are both sort of equally devastating. Um, I've always been a big Mitch Marner person. Um, you know, he was a London Knight, of course. I love my former Knights. Uh do the people know that you're a London native? Is that something our uh, our fans are familiar with? I don't know. I'll, I'll throw that out there. I'm a I'm a London native. I wouldn't say I'm a London Knights fan. You know, I was welcomed to the House of Green at one time. Uh, <laughs> during my childhood, you know, they were winning Memorial Cups and things of that nature. Uh, so I, I am certainly partial to the Leafs. I love you know when I, when other former Leaves do or not Leafs uh, Knights. I love when former Knights do well. You know, yeah, you got John Tavares as well, right? Yeah, that's maybe a little before my awareness of the team. You know, obviously, Corey Perry's the big one. Uh, and then, you know, in recent years, there was a year where it was, you know, Max Domi, Mitch Marner, Matthew Kachuk. Uh, that that whole squad rolled through, and, I, and Bo Horvat as well. And I am very partial to those guys. I think the frustrations with him are understandable. 
Uh, I was texting a friend who is a, a big Leafs fan, and he almost described him as a Ben Simmons, where it's clear how good he is. You know, obviously Ben Simmons pre this whole fiasco, right? right. But where it's clear how good he is, and you're just like, why don't you just shoot, man? <laughs> uh, and and so I think that the frustrations are definitely understandable to some degree, especially given the contract. But if you're looking at him as a third best forward or a fourth best forward now with Nylander playing as well as he has been, I think that's like an amazing luxury to have in your in your sort of makeup. And maybe that's part of the frustration is that maybe the Leafs don't need a luxury as much as they need like sort of consistency and solidness throughout the lineup. But, you know, I, I think he has been really strong, like you said, after picking up after that slow start. Yeah, I think where people sort of soured on Mitch Marner was when he demanded the Austin Matthews contract. Him and Matthews have very comparable salaries, and he felt that he deserved to be paid at that same level. And then Austin Matthews has gone on to become maybe the best offensive player in the league or certainly the top three, whereas Mitch Marner has had times where he looked at that same level, but then has other he struggles more than Austin does. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where the frustration comes from. But absolutely, when he's on, it's nothing but great for the Leafs fans, and you're happy for the guy, too. He just seems like a good young kid. I'm happy to see him succeed. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's, it's been success across the board, really, for for their offensive talent. Um, so I wanted to talk about, you know, to sort of close this discussion out, the MVP of the season. I have three candidates down. You can talk about uh, some other ones for sure. But so, you know, I sort of went offense, defense, goaltending. You've got Austin Matthews, who has, like I said, been a point-per-game player since he came back from the injury. And obviously, you know, if you take a couple of losses out of the column, then his record, you know, the record with him in the lineup looks even better than their overall record. Uh, you have Morgan Riley, who, like I said, they're pleased with how he's been performing. And then you have Jack Campbell. So I think I know which way you're going to trend here, but who who are you voting on for the MVP of the Leafs so far this season. Yeah, I think this season the Leafs have had a lot of great players playing well, but it's got to be Jack Campbell. The guy, like we said off the top, leads the NHL in goals against average. You could make a case he's had the best performance of any goalie in the NHL so far for how much money he's making and the fact that he was able to follow up a great season last year when maybe I was the only one, but I sort of had question marks about it just because, like I said, things tend to regress to the mean. But maybe Jack Campbell setting a new mean for himself. I'm thrilled with him, and I'm I have no hesitation in naming him the Leafs MVP so far. Yeah, no question. I think you're. I think you were totally justified in having that sort of skepticism, especially for the Leafs who have not really had much consistency in their goaltending. Like as long as I can remember, like who's the last? Maybe you can answer this question. Who's the, when's the last time that the Leafs had like? a really strong, solid number one goalie that, like, you were able to put your confidence in. James Reimer. Is that true, James Reimer, Chris. <laughs> no, I mean, there were a couple years there where Frederick Anderson was that, but maybe not to that extent. You could go back to Eddie but, Belfour. Yeah, I think that that's who I was thinking of. Like, it does feel like, you know, with Reimer, with Anderson, it was always, like, where, like, you would look at them and be like, that's a number one guy, but do I really feel like it's like sort of a do you feel confident starting this guy in a finals game and like not expecting him to get totally shelled? I'm just saying who has the record for the highest single season save percentage in franchise history? I don't know. It's James Reimer, Chris. Okay. That that year that they went to the playoffs and played the Bruins. Sure. That, yeah. that famously great year. Um, that wasn't his fault. 
The collapse was not his fault. He did everything he could. Oh, uh, okay. He's the only reason it got to seven games. <laughs> sure. I see you feel passionately I about do. this. I still have my Rhymer jersey. I'm pissed that they gave Austin Matthews his number. <laughs> yeah, they should have been retired. <laughs> yeah. he, he should be hanging in the rafters while his active career is still going on. Yeah. Uh, the He himself, not the jersey. <laughs> <laughs> they, they got him like a little seat up there. Yeah, he's like got a gondola. Like, uh, what's his name? <laughs> What's his name? Howard Fos- Howard Hughes? <laughs> Foster Hewitt. The Foster Hewitt media gondola. Is that what you're talking about? Precisely. Um, yeah, but yeah, Morgan Riley, you know, to talk about him briefly, he has had a really strong season. Uh, 11 points, I think, is uh, about as good as you can hope for from a defenseman uh, through 17 games. Uh, and obviously, Austin Matthews, like we said, has been extremely productive. But, you know, he sort of gets crowded out, I think, by how good those top liners have been overall not just him yeah I was fully resigned to this being the last year of Morgan Riley as a Toronto Maple Leaf I did not think they were able to get that extension done so I'm thrilled and he's looked every bit the part so far yeah um just I, I truly I can't let him go by without mentioning that tweet that came out uh, one of the great tweets of all time in my opinion when he re-signed uh, and someone said that it showed a rare combination in a hockey player that he neither cares about winning nor money. He, he's loyal. He's a good Canadian boy, and that's mm-hmm. what you want most. Well, they they will come, as we were talking about before the uh, start of the program. So, yes, that is uh, the state of the Maple Leafs at the moment. I'm sure as soon as we finish recording this, they will go on an epic losing streak oh, of course. and fall out of playoff contention. And but it's not our fault. No, certainly not. We do. There's no such thing as a high floor, low ceiling jinx. Shout out to the Carolina Panthers. Shout out to the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, th- it's not a real thing. Shout out to the L.A. Rams. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, we're not talking football this week, but no. things have. We uh... jinxed a lot of football teams. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we jinxed half the NFC. <laughs> yeah, more or less. I don't know. Panthers I mean, look good now with Cam Newton, though. I. Uh... We truly He's leading, talk football. leading I, the charge. I cannot talk Superman about is back. Oh, that is so... The way that people have reacted to that, and it's like, I get it if you're a fan of Cam Newton or a fan of the Panthers, like, that is exciting, but, How like, can you not be a fan of Cam Newton? I mean... So exciting. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, let's just go with that. Um, but, you know, I said uh, the Patriots are, you know, I was talking about them as, you know, what was it, the fourth or the fifth best team in the AFC, and now mm-hmm. they're, people are talking about them as a Super Bowl contender at this point. Yeah, so uh, there you go, the high floor, low ceiling bump. It's yeah. a good thing. <laughs> it depends on, yes, if if a team plays well after we talk about them, it's a bump. If they slump, it's not a jinx. Not a jinx. Nadge. That's our famous. Uh, famous acronym. Famous acronym. Hifflk Nash. Sort of sounds wow. like a Dune language. I haven't seen it. Oh, you got to see it. Anyways, <laughs> we are going to come right back with some more high floor, low ceiling, talk some NBA. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to high floor, low ceiling. That might be a little offensive. We'll cut that out. No, it... <laughs> oh. Well, I don't know. I wasn't really doing anything in particular, so. That's no. not offensive. If you think it is, then you're, you're the sorted. problem. Yeah, maybe you need to reassess how you see things. <laughs> Sorry, we're just getting real aggressive with our <laughs> yeah, real no. aggro. Now, Griffin, you told me over the break that you have a bit prepared. I do like to preface all of my bits. <laughs> 
with a bit. But first, I just wanted to check in, Chris. We have neglected, I feel like, mm-hmm. our popular Midwest following. Mm-hmm. It's been a couple episodes so, since we checked in with them. So, uh, Midwest, what's up? How you doing? I know it's November. Those crops probably not coming in as much, but it's Thanksgiving <laughs> time. Oh yeah, in the in American the, in the, yeah, Midwest. We, have to, uh, we must acquiesce to American Thanksgiving. It's not today, is it? We're recording on a Thursday. Is it next Thursday? I believe it's next Thursday. It's the fourth Thursday in November, so yeah, that would make there's, it. Next there's no football Thursday. today. I didn't see any dumb like ESPN posts on my Instagram with like all the NBA guys sharing a turkey or something. So I assume it's next Thursday. Precisely. Big um, shout out to the Midwest, though. Thanksgiving is a time to give thanks to all you farmers out there. Yeah, so. I actually, I have some, we didn't discuss this, but I have some Midwestern content here, Griffin. Oh. Uh, a tweet that someone sent to me the other day. Uh, the, so it starts with, how do you politely tell your visitor that it's time to go home? And uh, in this meme, I guess it's really more of a screenshot than a meme. Uh, I want to differentiate those. But Sarah Aldridge from Facebook replies, if you're from the Midwest, you just say, well, really forcefully and slap your knees with your hands and stand <laughs> up. Other Midwesterners will recognize the signal and say, suppose we should head out. So, you know what? I think I would get, I'm not Midwestern, but I think I would get that signal. That to me, that feels strong. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of the, you know, Midwestern vibes that people discuss are often, I think, shared by Canadian vibes as well. So yeah. Or like an entire country of the Midwest. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so shout out to the Midwest. We love your loyalty. We appreciate your fandom. Uh, Griffin, we are going to talk about the National Basketball Association. We- oh, oh, Chris. Chris, Uh-oh. oh. Uh-oh, here it comes. Oh, I fell off my chair, and I can't get back up onto my chair. Chris, oh. You're clutching your leg? I'm, I'm really I'm really struggling over here. Chris, I'm struggling. Oh, you're Just like, like the NBA contenders <laughs> we're going to be talking about today. You came, you came in really hot on the mic there. <laughs> I thought that would really drive home the, the bit. Hopefully the levels will have been equalized in post-production and our, our loyal listeners will not have had their speakers blown out. Uh, but yes, as, as you alluded to with that great bit, thank you. we are going to be talking about some, some struggling NBA contenders. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to say that it was you know, talking about the conference finalists from last year. Uh, originally, of course, you know, we had Atlanta and Milwaukee in the East and then the Clippers and the Suns in the West. The Suns did have a bit of a, a shaky start to the season, but they've been very good. They're back at the two seed. They should, you know, be a top team again. Uh, you know, I, I did expect them to take a bit of a step back this year, but they have been quite strong. Um, the other Western Conference finalists, the Clippers have also... Again, exceeded my expectations at the very least. They're in a playoff position right now, over 500, and doing doing it with their defense somehow. Yeah, the Clippers really did not see that one coming after Kawhi went down for the year, but they they're they're hanging in there. Big shout out to Paul George. I've, yeah. Everyone knows that people have always been unanimously praising of Paul George, so I'm glad to see that that was well founded. Yeah, and you know Paul George famously. Uh, always consistent between the first half and second half of the season. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure the Clippers will maintain this pace. Um, but, but you know, we, we can't really knock them too much right now. They are above where, certainly where I thought they would be. Maybe they're, you know, some people, the more optimistic people had them around 500. So they're living up to expectations. Phoenix certainly living up to their optimistic projections for the year. Uh, but the two teams in the East are struggling right now. It is a very tight conference. You know, I think, uh, 
probably the, let me just pull up the exact figures here, but pretty much the three to around the 10 or 11 seed are all quite close. Well, yeah, the entire conference is only separated by six and a half games, which to admit it is still fairly early. But yeah, the first seed and the 11th seed are only three and a half games apart. Uh, yeah, it is, like you said, a very tightly packed conference. Um, some teams that maybe you wouldn't have fully expected to be in the mix. Cleveland at 9-7. and seven. Uh, The Hornets at 9-7 and seven as well. They were a team that we talked about as, you know, a potential playoff contender. Uh, so... A lot we of talk about the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, or are we going to get to them? <laughs> no, no. Let's talk about them now. The Washington Wizards at 10-4. What? what? Really? What put, is happening? Really putting up numbers. Almost uh, very Clippers-esque. Uh, if you think about the 20, 2019 Clippers that, uh, mm-hmm. that went to the playoffs with Tobias Harris and, and all those guys. Uh, obviously, Montrez Harrell on that team. The Washington Wizards, the fifth-ranked defense in the National Basketball Association... Uh, not what you would expect, maybe, from a team that starts Spencer Dinwiddie and Kyle Kuzma and Bradley Beal and has Montrez Harrell in a significant role. Yeah, no, if you had sat me down, and the weirdest part is, if you had sat me down before the season and said, Kyle or Bradley Beal, pardon me, is averaging 23 points a game, which to a normal player is pretty good, but to yeah. Bradley Beal is nothing special, what do you think the record for the Wizards would be? I would say, geez, a Beal at only 23 points a game, I don't know, 4-10, and 10? but no, they're 10-4. and four. This has got to be the Kyle Kuzma effect. There's yeah. no other explanation. Well, and the Wentz, Wes Unseld Jr. effect. No, it's um, all Kuzma, baby. It's all the Kuz. Sure. Kuz, they Kuz. Haven't, uh, they haven't really had Davis Bertans in the rotation either, who definitely would be a valuable bench piece for them. You know, they've been getting stuff out of Aaron Holiday. Uh, Denny Avdia has, you know, been, an, you know, he's still coming along. He's been a nice bench piece. Daniel Gafford. Should we just... We should do a whole segment on Daniel Gafford and how good and maybe a little underrated he is right now. I think our, our ratings are low enough already, Chris. <laughs> Shout out to the Midwest, former Chicago Bull Daniel Gafford. But let's get to uh, those contenders that we alluded to previously. So I want to talk about first the I ones that are about, oh oh, oh, oh on, wait Griffin, oh the ones the, the contenders that are oh struggling just like I was earlier when I fell off my chair. Yeah, and you couldn't get up. Yeah, I was struggling. Sure, the struggle is real. Um, but Milwaukee and Atlanta, as, as, as things stand right now on the day we're recording this, which is Thursday, of course, I know what days are and how they happen in progression. Uh, it's weird that you felt the need to, I think most people would just assume that you know what days no, yeah. are. That kind of makes me think that you don't know what days are. The fact that you oh. felt the need to go out of your way to say what days are. I know it's Thursday. There isn't a giant screen in front of me that says Thursday <laughs> at the top. I didn't need to look at it to verify. I didn't accidentally say it was Wednesday earlier today before we recorded. I'm normal. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks and Atlanta Hawks, not Falcons, are again <laughs> with all the bird teams in Atlanta. The Thrashers had a bird logo too. Let's get yeah. to the bottom of this. Well, I think that that's I kind of like that actually. A, um, a common theme. Yeah, the Detroit. I found out today that, or not today, but uh, recently, that the Detroit Lions are called the Lions simply because the Detroit Tigers are called the Tigers. You can combine the Cubs and get a Lions, Tigers, and Bears. Oh my! Wow. And I hope, I pray that the listeners at home will try that for themselves and see where it gets them. Lions and tigers and cubs. Oh, my. Totally. Uh, Milwaukee. Don't you mean Toto, Ali? Come on. That was good. (laughs) That was off the top of my head, It was pretty good. The Cox and the Bucks are the 11 and 12 seed. The Bucks are 7 and 8. The Hawks are 7 and 9. Both really struggling to start the season. 
Uh, Let's talk about the Hawks first. The fifth-ranked offense in the NBA, the 28th-ranked defense. uh, Love a good run-and-gun team. That's a really fun sentence. Bit of a uh, bit of a 2018 Cavaliers vibe here. Uh, they just lost DeAndre Hunter for eight weeks, which might cause problems for their defense as well. Is this let's play a little real or fake? Is this a tough start to the season, or is this uh, as I have written here? And it's just a nice turn of phrase. Is this the Cinderella team turning back into a pumpkin, Griffin? Shout out to the Midwest. <laughs> Pumpkins? Pumpkins are a Midwest shout out. Sure, they're crops. You're always talking about the crops. You can't. Harp on me for talking about pumpkins. I, that's fair. That's fair. Where do gourds grow, though? States that produce the most pumpkins. One sec. You, you no, talk yeah. about the tomatoes. Uh, yeah. So for me personally, my feelings on the Hawks, uh, I don't know. I I started out, you know, sort of the offseason thinking that they would probably take a step back. Obviously, you know, the Eastern Conference Finals, however you feel about how good the Hawks were last season, I don't think they're really the kind of team you think of when you think Eastern Conference Finals. You know, you're almost reminded of, uh, I guess the Eastern Conference Finals have usually been pretty solid. You know, there, there's been some Celtics years where they weren't particularly inspiring and ended up in the Eastern Conference Finals. But even if you compare them to, like, the 2016 Raptors, I don't think that they were on that level. And that wasn't, you know, an amazing team. It was a really strong team, but not an amazing one. Um but then I sort of got convinced over time, mainly because everyone seemed to be so unanimously still high on them, that they were going to continue to be good this year. And I'm starting to think that they just, their talent isn't quite there in terms of a team that you'd expect to be, you know, in the 50 win range. Like they don't have a ton of depth Their, You know, their role players are strong. Like John Collins is great. Clint Capella is great. And then it's like, is Kevin Herter really a sixth man of the year contender like he was being hyped up as at the start of the year? Like, are there other bench guys really that strong? I'm a little dubious. Yeah, I know what you mean. And I do feel like with the Hawks, this is more of a uh, symptom of some real problems than it is just a bad start. Obviously, they've got those three good players in uh, Collins, Capella, and Trey Young, but Trey Young. Do you think that he is a winning basketball player? Do you think that the style that he plays lends itself to winning in the NBA? Before last year, he had never won a playoff game in his professional or college career. Not even a playoff game. Um, I, I am a big Trey Young fan. Uh, it's it, We have never really seen him play with you know a team that is really up to his level. You know, If you look at the, that team that went deep in the playoffs last year, there is something to be said for, you know, their overall depth. They did win some games when Trey Young was not playing particularly well, but really, like he is the engine of that team. He, they, they rely on him for better or worse. Like, you know, if you think of him as like even like a John Wall or a Russell Westbrook, obviously with a much better jump shot, but those teams, you know, they ran through their guys for better or for worse, and you did sort of have to construct the roster around them to benefit that. And so I do think that in the right situation, if you construct the roster well, that he can definitely be a winning player and a player that is conducive towards, you know, obviously, you know, there's still a fifth ranked offense there. It's conducive to really high octane offensive basketball. And then ultimately, I don't think that a point guard is really that impactful on a defense. Like Trey Young is Mm -hmm. not the reason that they're the 28th ranked defense. 
Probably doesn't help. He's not a good defender. No, sure. he's a terrible defender. <laughs> but, but, you know, one perimeter defender, right. uh, I don't think is really the difference maker. I think it's more of a scheme thing. I think it's usually like if you have strong wing defenders, if you have a strong rim protector, you should be, they should be better than 28th ranked defense based on their personnel. They do play, you know, Bogdanovich and Gallinari and guys who are sort of stiffs, uh, not to just call it the white guys. Uh, <laughs> but. But, you know, they, they have Hunter, they have Capella, Collins is, you know, maybe a little questionable. But they have solid guys. They shouldn't be a bargain basement type defense. Yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, just in case you were curious, Chris, did yeah. you know that pumpkins Let's are grown on every continent except Antarctica? Isn't that, that crazy? Pumpkins are a truly global gourd. That kind of makes sense. You know, you think about uh, think about Africa, you know, gourds. I, I do associate yeah, that with good Africa. Point. South America, sure. Europe, classic. All the I'm just naming continents. <laughs> the world's top producers of pumpkins include China, India, wow, China. the Ukraine. Wow. Or pardon me, Ukraine, not the yes. Ukraine. Uh, the United States, Egypt, and Mexico. But the top four pumpkins, the top four states <laughs> that grow the most pumpkins yeah. are Illinois, Pennsylvania, New York, and Indiana. So definitely a Midwest flair. They're not exclusively a Midwest crop. Yeah. But I will give it to you. Shout out to the Midwest for your pumpkin crop. <laughs> yeah, we're we're yeah we're broaching on New England. Shout out to them as well. But you know, I I think I okay. I'll, I'll take some I'll take a W there. Uh, let's move on to the Milwaukee Bucks. They unlike the uh, Hawks, I was a little surprised looking at their numbers. They're the 15th ranked offense. They're the 19th ranked defense. But I think ultimately you're just going to play the injury card here, right? Yeah, I think so. The Hawks, or not the Hawks, pardon me, the Bucks have been banged up left, right, and center, but Giannis is back. He just dropped 45 on the Lakers last night. Uh, Middleton finally getting back as well, so I think the Bucks are going to be just fine. Grayson Allen's looked really good for them. That looked like a great pickup, uh, so I'm excited to see what they can do. Like you said, they're, they're 24th in the league in assists per game. I wouldn't mind seeing that ball moving a little more, but I think they'll be just fine. Yeah, like when you look at their top minutes, guys, it's like it is Grayson Allen, it's Pat Connaughton, it's Jordan Nora. They have not had their guys. Brooke Lopez has only played one game. Um, so, you know, they it's it's understandable, but it is a little bit maybe, you know, it does raise some questions, certainly. And, you know, obviously, what maybe once they get their full team back, they they do seem like the kind of team to me that'll rattle off a win streak and a win, you know. 16 of 20 or something crazy like that so I, I i wanted to pose it this way to you if you can you can place a bet on one of these two things happening the one is that the bucks will be the number one seed in the east at the end of the year and the other one is that they're not a home court team in the first round so they are the fifth to eighth seed which one are you betting on in this situation hmm that's a good question uh I think it's more likely that they're the number one seed. They're only three and a half games out right now. The only team in between them and the number one seed that's actually on their level is the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, I think the Bucks are more likely to be the number one seed than to not host a playoff series. Yeah. Other than, I do agree with you, other than the Wizards, who are obviously you know, the outlier here, I think the conference, you know, after you know uh, some hot starts from the Bulls and the Heat uh, particularly, upon their hot heat uh things are looking more normal so you know if you take washington out of the <laughs> equation because they are like such an outlier at this point it goes 
Brooklyn, Chicago, Miami are at the top. And then you have the sort of middle of Charlotte, Cleveland, New York, Philly, Boston, Toronto. And then you can throw Atlanta in there. And so if you take Milwaukee and you sort of, you can even swap them with Washington, really. Like if you put Milwaukee at the top and Washington at the 11 spot, that looks like a pretty normal Eastern Conference based on what we expected. Obviously, Cleveland being the sixth seed is probably the big uh, outstanding one there. But that's not like you wouldn't look at those standings and be like, holy cow. Yeah, no, the, the, it has normalized a bit. Things regress to the mean, Chris, I'm telling you. Wow, that's the theme. Yeah, um, it's the theme of life. Um, so true, King. Uh, but let's, you know, we're, we're, we're running low on time here, and I need us to have this discussion. It's time to talk about the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, this is something that, as we were discussing what to talk about in today's episode, I messaged you, do we dare talk about the Lakers? Because they are such a whole discussion unto themselves. They're now 8-8. Eight and eight. They are 500. They are, uh, uh, why didn't I write this down? What seed are they right now? They are the 8th seed, tied with Portland uh, at 8-8, eight and eight, Memphis at 7-7 seven and seven as well. Uh, I think, so I'll just, I'll just list they you their They have a negative one. point differential. Yes, they have, they have been bad. There's no getting around it, even though they are 500. But I think their 8 losses perfectly sum up the way their season has gone. So there's it's sort of a 4-4. Four and four. So the first four that they've lost to are Golden State, Phoenix, Chicago and Milwaukee four really good teams sounds normal right the other four teams that they've lost to are the Blazers the Timberwolves and the Thunder twice so that I think that dichotomy is really defining their season right now like they lose to really good teams and then they lose to really bad teams as well for some reason not that the Blazers are bad but like having they're not good Having two losses to the Thunder is really crazy. Like, if you take those out, the Thunder are, what, four and eight in their other games that yeah. aren't against the Lakers. Uh, and then, you know, you contrast that with the really good teams that they've lost to. They've been missing LeBron. They just got Taylor Horton Tucker back, who has been quite good for them uh, in his first few games. Uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start here and broach this subject, which I think I have talked about before on this show. Certainly, I think we have talked about it in, in our conversations about basketball. Is this the new normal for LeBron James? Do we need to dispose of the, the sort of the Iron Man perspective on him, the he's always going to be good perspective, the, you know, it, he's going to be healthy in the playoffs and he's going to take you to a conference finals or a finals? Like, is, is it time for that narrative to end for LeBron? No. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Come on. This is the best player in the world we're talking about. This is oh. LeBron freaking James. Yes, I do think that he will no longer play 82 games a year. The guy's played the most minutes in NBA history in not even close to the most years. Like, it's a high concentration of minutes on his body, and I think he doesn't like load management. He's been very clear about that, but I think more than anything mm. else, LeBron knows his body. He knows how to take care of his body better than just about anyone does their body. So I think that he will recognize its benefits, and I think that the Lakers will continue to take it easy on him. But um, for someone who doesn't like load management, he has missed at least 15 games. Well, I guess that that was the COVID year, so they didn't play 82 games. But he has missed uh, a fair amount of time in every year so far with the Lakers. But he doesn't miss them for no reason. Sure. That's the thing. I mean, yeah, but the thing is, like, that is when you start to, 
see that guys breaking down is when they have nagging injuries, is when they can't get 100% right. We saw it in the playoffs last year with LeBron. It, like, right, which, which is why I think he will come around to the benefits of load management because he's no dummy and he'll realize that it's best for him. But I think the narrative of him not being able to carry a team when healthy, I think that is still there, still very prevalent. He's still the Lakers' most important player. Sure. Still the best player in the Western Conference, I'd say, at least. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the maybe the thing that I am past at this point is saying, you know, that in a in a game seven of the finals, there's no player you would rather want than LeBron James. I think that I am past that point for him. And do you do you disagree? Like I I can see. I'm not gonna say that you're wrong. I might still take him. I think that he impacts the ability to win a game more than anyone else in the league. But I can definitely, I'm not, I'm not going to hold that against you because I think you could make very good arguments for several players over yeah. LeBron. But just personally, I think that you could still make an argument for LeBron over any other player as well. Yeah, I just think that, you know, then this is sort of outside any sort of rational analysis to some extent maybe. But when you think about, like, guys who can will their team to a win in a playoff game and can just say, I'm not going to lose this game. I'm going to destroy everyone and it's going to work. He is like probably fourth maybe on that list at this point. You take Luka Doncic, you take, and then Durant and Giannis, I think everyone would agree would be the top two in that respect, right? I would still put LeBron over Luka, but yeah, I think that Kevin Durant and Giannis have both proven more recently than LeBron that they have what it takes to be that single difference maker. Yeah, and you know, I think LeBron will continue to be great, but I I do I need some proof. Like you said, like at this point I no longer have the assumption that he's always going to be great and he's always going to be the best player on the floor. And if you stick him in a playoff game and he's healthy, he's going to dominate. I no longer have that utmost confidence. Uh but let's not talk about a player who has not been playing. Let's talk about a player who has been on the court. I'm I'm going to call a a high floor no ceiling, no hedging. Has the Westbrook, the Russell Westbrook Lakers experiment, is it already a failure? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd say so. The, he's not looked good. He's looked bad. And the thing is, <laughs> the question that still looms over this team, which is when they're fully healthy, what does Russell Westbrook do for you? Yes. Is still there and has not been solved. When LeBron gets back, you want the ball in his hands. He is the one who runs your offense. So what does Russell Westbrook do? Does he stand in the corner and shoot threes? I hope not, because he's bad at that. Yeah. So is he just like the the league's best slasher? I guess so. I guess that's his role. Or do you put the ball in his hands more often and have LeBron play off the ball, but then you're minimizing the impact of the best player of all time? So I don't get... From the moment this trade was made, I didn't get how Russ and LeBron fit together with Anthony Davis, and I still don't get it. Nothing about that. I feel like Frank Vogel has been given a bit of an impossible task here. And I, as with all due respect to him, I think he's a great coach, but I don't think he's done anything to solve it. Yeah, I, the one, the argument that I heard over the offseason that I did buy into in terms of Westbrook's impact on the Lakers and in a positive light is when LeBron is out or when LeBron, you know, needs to take a night off or just, you know, he needs to dial down the usage in the regular season, Westbrook is a great regular season player. 
He wins you games in the regular season. He's taken teams to the playoffs. Like last year with the Wizards, he he did take them to the playoffs. Like you can't really deny that, even though I think both of us are not huge Russell Westbrook fans. I'm a Russell Westbrook respecter. I'll put it that way. I I don't even think I would go that far myself, personally. But, you know, we're we're not, you know, diehard Russell Westbrook supporters by any stretch of the imagination. I think that the appeal was in a situation exactly like this. LeBron James is out for six weeks or however long he's out. And then Russell Westbrook can, you know, get you, you know, they've been 500, I guess, is the is the nicest thing you can say about them. Like, I guess if he is bringing them to a 500 mark as, you know, the most, uh, I wouldn't even, I can't call him the best player and I can't call him the most consistent player and I can't call him, he's, he's again, we'll go back to this. He's an innings eater. Mm. He gives you minutes. He gives you points. He does things on the court. But, you know, if this is what he is supposed to be for, then he is like, he's not even excelling in this role is the problem. And then, like you said, it, it creates a ton of problems when you get to the playoffs. Yeah. Um, so if, if, you know, if you say they want to get out of this, is there a way out? Is there a trade to be made? Is there a Russell Westbrook swap to be made? Um, who is going to, I don't see anyone taking on Russell Westbrook. I don't see them admitting that it was a mistake this often either. I think he is there to stay for better or for worse, probably for worse. That's a long stay is the thing. Um, you know, you think about how they could have had, like Caruso and Contavious Caldwell Pope and they could have had Buddy Heald potentially like guys who are thriving this year in particular yeah. like it it does feel like a really possibly you know a franchise sinking mistake for for the near future um let, let's go back to the Bucks they are the, the same uh the same game we played with the Bucks you can bet on one of these two things for the Lakers this year you can bet on them being a home court team in the playoffs so a top four seed or you can bet on them being in the play-in game. Which are you? Which an, are you betting on? An eight on here? through twelve seed. An eight through yeah, whatever it is. Uh, so I guess 10. you can count the, seven through ten. You can pretty safely count the Warriors and the Suns as two of the four home oh. court seeds. Uh, the Jazz look good as well. Can the Lakers make a light charge? Assuming LeBron's around for most of the season for that fourth seed, they'd have to fight with the Mavericks, the Nuggets, the Clippers. Yeah, give me the Lakers as the fourth seed, if not the third seed. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like I do think that they can turn it around. I don't think it's too late. I think them getting to five hundred was like a, a a real boon for them. Like that definitely it makes you more optimistic about them than you were, you know, a, a little while ago. They had some some close wins. They had an overtime win, two overtime wins, one against the Hornets, one against the Heat. And then they followed that up with a twenty four point loss to the Timberwolves. They're now coming off of back-to-back losses. They, they have a road trip here, which I think will be really significant for them. Uh, they lost to the Bucks last night, and then they played the Celtics, the Pistons, the Knicks, and the Pacers on the road. If you come out, I mean, if you come out of that four and zero, which is totally plausible, then you're in really st- strong shape. Yeah, yeah. That's another thing is that they've only played sixteen games, and they've used and they've played twelve of their home games already. They're going to have a road-heavy schedule for the rest of the season which could lend itself to more rest and missed games for LeBron, at least. Yeah, so definitely an interesting situation. They are 
they're frankly exhausting to talk about. They have so much, like, <laughs> there's so much tied up in them. They are the Lakers. They are the team that won a title two years ago and then flamed out. They are the team with LeBron on them. They are the team with Russell Westbrook on them. So, like, the chief tenants of Crypto.com Arena. Oh, yeah. We didn't even talk about Crypto.com it's, Arena. The Lakers are dead. <laughs> Wow, that's just that's it. The, the renaming of Staples Center, the franchise is over. Pack them up, send them back to Minneapolis. Cheers. I'll I'll drink to that. I don't have a beverage, but uh, but yes, that will do it for our, our NBA discussion for this week. We are going to do one more quick segment. This is a this is a quick hitter. Maybe not as fun as we traditionally like to do, but certainly I, I'm going to have some fun mm-hmm. here. Just before we get into that, speaking of beverages, do you think it's a bad thing that I have my water bottle right next to the bottle of Santa spray here that Santa we have in the spray? Su- Santa spray, like sanitizing spray? It's like anti-germ stuff. Mm. I So they're pretty different bottles, so I don't think I would accidentally drink from the Santa spray, but I have grabbed it once or twice by accident. I thought you said Santa spray. Uh, let me just lean out here for a second and take a look. I feel like this is begging for me to drink bleach. <laughs> Well, I won't even make a joke about that. It's not appropriate. Uh, Thank you. But, yeah, I mean, I certainly I see your conundrum. Uh, I'll really, just slide my water bottle over a little bit. Yeah, not to tell on ourselves, but you really shouldn't have a water bottle in here at all. In it's studio. got its lid on. Okay. All right, I'm responsible. I'm safe. Okay. Uh, but let's do this quick hit. Uh, we're going to talk about some free agent pitchers. Uh, this came... <laughs> Sorry. That was water, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Tasted like water. Uh, Got to keep the mouth moist for the listeners. Sure. No one would listen to this if I didn't have a moist mouth. Sure. Uh, speaking of moist mouth, Moist Monk has not been a great performer for the Lakers this year. Uh, let's talk about some free agent pitchers. We talked about this a little bit with Mitch Bannon. I want us to uh, dive a little deeper, although you know, still still doing quick hits here. I I didn't fully explain maybe when we were talking about it what exactly i'm talking about here like is the how did you approach this did you approach this as you are predicting where they're gonna go were you saying it's a good fit were you saying where you'd like to see them go how did you yeah i I was saying in a few months this is what uniform i think this guy will be wearing okay i think i went a little bit more towards you know uh, uh what would be a good fit and things of that nature mainly because i think more likely than not, most players re-sign with their team, um, generally speaking. And so it's not quite as interesting to be like, these guys are all going to be back with their same team again. Yeah, uh, a lot of my guys are returning. I'm going to tip my cap a little bit. So, so I'll, be, I'll be the hot my taker. Hand. I'll be the hot taker for uh, for this segment. So obviously, uh, Noah Syndergaard to the Los Angeles Angels. That was a, a big <sighs> surprise. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you like that move? Because I was going to talk about him. We didn't get to it in our talk with Mitch, but I was going to talk about him as a, a Blue Jays target. Yeah, I thought he was a Blue Jays target as well. I do like that move for the Angels, sort of a one-year prove them deal so the Angels aren't tied into this guy long-term. They keep, they have this problem. They've got two generational talents, three if you count Anthony Rendon, and they keep wasting them. So I am all for the Angels throwing money at the problem as opposed to giving it up and tearing it down like Oakland or Tampa Bay might. So, yeah, props to the Angels. Keep trying. Yeah, but don't, but don't I want to see you do well. I would definitely like to see them do well for sure. Like they are a team that you know you want to see them in the playoffs. They are one of the more exciting teams in baseball, broadly speaking. But don't you think that they maybe should have gone for a more consistent option rather than like making a splashy move and betting on a guy to you know regain his form? Like isn't that kind of what their problem has been that they're making 
sort of these bets rather than going for consistency. Yeah, that's a good point. I do see where you're coming from with that, but I think that they're trying to hit big on a couple of players, and it hasn't. Sometimes it's worked out for them in the past with Shohei Otani. Sometimes it hasn't with like Justin Upton or Anthony Rendon. But I do think that Sandergaard, maybe I just like it because I would have taken that same bet. I think he's going to have a good year for them. Yeah, I I like the bet. Just maybe not for them specifically. Um, Justin Verlander, he's back to the Astros. Not a free agent, but the Blue Jays did extend Jose Barrios, which could factor into their plans. Uh, But let's talk about a few guys and where they'll be headed. We're going to start with Max Scherzer. He was a Dodger last year. He finished third in Cy Young voting. He was really strong for them. Obviously, their season did not end the way they maybe would have liked. Uh, Where do you see Max Scherzer headed, Griffin? I think that he's the type of guy the Dodgers would really like to keep. He did very well for them. They want to be perennial World Series contenders. I think they'd be fine with giving him a short-term, high, high-value contract. Like I'm talking maybe over $40 million a year for two years, so I think he'll stay a Dodger. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat here. I do have some guys switching teams, but he is the guy that I feel like just makes sense to stay. They have a need. They have money. They like sort of splashing money at older guys a lot of the time. I imagine they're both pretty happy with how the season went for the two of them. Yeah. So I, I do think he'll be headed back as well. Uh, we're going to talk about, I have him written down here, is Robert Raymond, Robbie Ray, recent American League Cy Young winner. Where is he headed next year? Yes, full credit to him. It was fun having you around, Robbie Ray. Enjoy the Los Angeles Angels. (laughs) Enjoy the Los Angeles Angels. That's my guess for him. He seems like the type of guy who the Angels would throw a lot of money at in that he is flawed and that they'll pay him for this year's production, and then he'll regress a little bit. So I think he... He seems like the type of guy, to put in basketball terms, that the Knicks would give like a max contract right. to and then would never be quite the same. Like would still be solid, but never quite the same. So that's sort of how I view the Angels. I think Robbie Ray will be there. Yeah, I think I really like that pick. I like it maybe even more than my own pick. I do have him returning as well to the Blue Jays. Um, you know, they're, they're looking for starting pitching regardless. They're losing, you know, if you want to say one and a half guys out of their rotation between Ray and Steven Matz. Um, and I think a lot of teams, you know, I think you can say the Jays, the Red Sox, and the Angels are the three teams that, you know, might be willing to really shell out for a starting pitcher this year. And I think he's probably going to, like, I think the other teams that are, you know, sort of poking around might not be willing to give him that kind of contract. And that's why I'm trending towards him coming back to the Blue Jays. And again, like, like Scherzer, I think they're both happy with what they got out of last season. Are you there? <laughs> yeah. No, sorry. I, was just, I thought you were going to queue up the next guy. <laughs> I wanted some reactions from you. No, I do I do think that uh, Robbie Ray does make that. Yeah, you're happy here. We're happy here. It clearly worked out. Let's do it again six more times. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. Kevin Gaussman, uh, not a name that I am intimately familiar, I will admit. No, but pitched uh, great this year. Yeah, had a really great year for the Giants. Obviously, a team that, I don't know, I... I will, I will be interested to see what the Giants do this offseason. They have a lot of free agents and, you know. Buster Posey retired. Yeah, and they, I think, you know, they, maybe they feel more confident in the sustainability of their team than I do, but they certainly seem like a team that is a prime, obviously a prime regression candidate. You can't win 107 games back-to-back unless you're like a dynastic team. But do, do you see, where do you see Gaussman uh, ending up? 
I think Gesman's one of the returners. The Giants will give him a lot of money. He and it's yeah, like we said with Robbie Ray and Max Scherzer, it's a case of it finally clicked when I was here. And would I want to risk going somewhere else? I mean, you'd risk it if you secure your big payday, and then who cares if it doesn't work out? But I think the Giants will want to keep this thing rolling. I think this is the kind of season that changes your franchise timeline a bit. And Kevin Gausman was a big, big piece of that. So I think that they'll be willing to give him a big truck of money. Yeah, I, I definitely do see the logic there. Uh, I have him as maybe the target for the Red Sox. He does feel like a Red Sox kind of guy. Like almost, They're almost similar to the Dodgers in some way, maybe like a tier below the Dodgers. He's a little older. You know, He's a solid starter. He won't break the bank to the same degree as like a Robbie Ray or a Max Scherzer might. Um, and, you know, if you look at like they, they do they have some major holes in their starting rotation for sure. So I think they will be going for a free agent pitcher. I think they'll be going for an upper tier guy, if not, you know, the tippy top guy. And and I think Gaussman maybe makes sense as the guy that they target. Yeah, I like that, too. Uh, the, that does seem like a Red Sox type of signing. Uh, it'd be tough to play in Fenway, but I think he could handle it. Yeah, and you know he he had some solid years for the Orioles as well. Uh, let's move on to Marcus Stroman, who you know had a really consistent uh, contract basically for the Mets. Like he had a few really solid years. Like has is a very consistent innings eater kind of guy. Uh, where do you see him ending up, Griffin? Uh, Marcus Stroman had a bit of a. Uh dark horse i have him a detroit tiger i think mm. detroit has shown a willingness to spend this year they've already been rumored to be linked to carlos correa uh, aj hinch managing there the american league central is wide wide open no real good teams there so i think that they'll be looking to improve their rotation this year and i think stroman's a prime candidate for them i i really like that i went a similar route uh this is this is maybe a little bit outside of uh, the realm of realism but what about Marcus Stroman, the Baltimore Oriole? Hmm. Uh, it's sort of it's similar to the Hunjin Ryu signing for the Jays, I think, where you, you know you have a young team and you're stabilizing a little bit with an older starting pitcher. He's really consistent, like he has been almost his whole career. He's been really solidly like low threes ERA. Like he doesn't really tend to have those years where he spikes and things like that. He's an innings eater. He's probably not going to outperform his contract, but he's also probably going to be worth the money. He might be uh, a ways outside of the Orioles' price range is the big thing for them. But, you know, he's a stabilizing force. He, he would be a marketable player, I think, uh, in Baltimore, who they sort of lack that kind of player. Yeah, and you so, know that he can pitch in the AL East. He did it for years. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that idea. That wasn't one that didn't occur to me, but that's I like that. Yeah, and like I said, like it could be a little outside their budget, but if they did want to, you know, commit to a multi-year deal, commit to spending a little money to get a guy, I think that that would be the type of guy that they would be targeting. Uh, Zach Greinke, he is uh, in the mix. He, I, I think it's, he maybe seems the most likely to move of like the upper tier guys maybe. And yeah, maybe- I think it's clear that he will not remain in Houston. And to that I say, get your passport, Grank. <laughs> he's football's, ver- or he's baseball's version of Gronk. He's right. Grank. Um Come on, North. I think Zach Greinke mm. is going to end up with the Toronto Blue Jays. They, if Especially if my prediction comes true and they lose out on Robbie Ray, uh, he'll be, they'll be looking to probably replace that with a consistent starter. Zach Greinke, one of the best pitchers of 
this century, honestly. Sure. Um, a former Cy Young winner, a veteran, kind of a weirdo. Maybe a... Uh, kind of. Yeah, a huge weirdo. Maybe a little concerned about how he'd fit into a clubhouse that gets along very well and has a lot of fun. But I think that he's still got some gas left in the tank. I think that he would be a good fit for the Blue Jays on a one- or a two-year deal. Yeah, I, I sort of had a similar thought. You know, a one- or a two-year deal, a veteran stabilizer for a young clubhouse. What about Zach Greinke coming home to the Kansas City Royals, giving them some veteran stability? He has a history there. He will, I think, be on the cheaper side of, you know, those upper crust starters. Yeah. And uh, and I think he, he would slot into their rotation pretty nicely. What do you think about that, Zach Greinke to the Royals? I'm choosing, I feel like, a lot of maybe teams that – aren't necessarily contenders right now but i feel like that's a move that a lot of teams make like i think the hunjin ryu move is almost in that vein as sort of the template for a team that is maybe one or two years away from looking towards the playoffs but you know want some stability in their lineup yeah that's something that i agree with i do fear that with granky he's just a little too old like yeah, ryu was is. 31 when he signed that jays contract granky's yeah. 38 so that, I worry about the timeline matching up a little bit there with the Royals, but he did have some great years there. Won a Cy Young in 2009 with the Royals. Um, so I could definitely see that happening, but I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure why you'd do that from Kansas City's point of view, especially for a guy who might not be like the strongest leader. Yeah, maybe, I think maybe the personality side is a bit of a question there. Like, But like I said, like maybe maybe a stabilizer for them and you don't want too much tumult in your lineup uh, in terms of having a ton of young guys and stuff like that. Uh, but we have one more, and that is the one and only Clayton Kershaw. Dodgers. You want to talk about... Sorry, Dodgers. You want to talk about the Sorry, best... Sorry, he's going to the Dodgers. ...pitchers of the 21st century. Dodgers. He'd certainly be on the list, no? Yeah, yeah. You know you know mm-hmm. where he's going to sign? Where? The Dodgers. And why is no, that? No chance, because he's Clayton <laughs> Kershaw. Yeah. Dodger for life, no chance he leaves, no chance they let him leave. I think that if some team would probably throw a bunch of money at him, I don't think he'd be interested. He seems like the type of guy who at this point, the Dodgers can give him everything he wants. They, they'll still give him a lot of money. They'll give him a good chance at another ring. He knows it there, clearly loves it there. I think he's a Dodger for life. But don't you think that if they if they're put in a position where they're picking between Max Scherzer and Clayton Kershaw, you know, even at different price points, they're going to pick Scherzer every time, don't you think? He was better this year, and he seems to be have more left in the tank if you're talking about aging great future Hall of Famers. I don't think Scherzer will – or sorry, I don't think Kershaw will make them pick. I think he'll be happy to take a discount. Yeah, I, I do – I am inclined to go that way as well. Obviously, you know uh, – the Trevor Bauer situation sort of creates yeah. some problems for them in terms of, you know, their lineup construction, not to mention, you know, the problems with him directly. Uh, I have a I have an outside-the-box slightly pick, uh, and, and this really this feels like something that could happen, uh, to me at least. Clayton Kershaw, the Texas Ranger. Uh, hmm. They want to be aggressive in the starting pitching market, they probably don't have the sway to get, you know, their top flight guys. And, you know, you think of, like, when I think of Rangers starting pitchers, I think of, like, Cole Hamels and, like, Corey Kluber, like some old washed-up <laughs> dudes just coming out and having pretty good years on teams that don't do all that much. And I feel like Clayton Kershaw is, like, a prime guy for that kind of role with that kind of team. I do, yeah, I do think of that. Um, 
if he wasn't a Dodger for life, I think that yeah. would be a great choice. Yeah, it is. It ultimately does come back to that sort of that lifer status, uh, like you said. But that will do it for our discussion on some free agent pitchers. I think we will definitely come back to free agency in general. It's oh, a, yeah. It's a fun yeah. time in the MLB right now. Until it all gets locked out in like two weeks. Yeah, that's that's the thing with Major League Baseball is you can never quite tell, like, you know, you, you couldn't plan a show two weeks in advance to talk about <laughs> MLB free agency the way you could with NBA free agency. Yeah, it all happens all the time or yeah. nothing happens. Exactly. But yeah, thank you everyone for listening to this week's episode of High Floor, Low Ceiling. See, you're taking the wheel on the outro. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to. It was a joy having you here. Mm-hmm. If you enjoyed being here, please make sure to stick around. Follow us on Spotify. Subscribe on Apple, Apple Podcasts. Leave Apple us a podcasts. review. Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review if you like my accent. Or leave us a review if you don't like my accent and want me to change it. Sir, hasn't it been a whole episode since we started doing accents? Oh, yes. <laughs> I lost it. I lost oh, it. Oh, yes. But, yeah, tell your friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, tweet us at HFLC Podcast. Uh, we got lots of fun stuff going on there. We're going to try and keep that account a little more active. Uh, so make sure to follow us there. Tweet at us. And, yeah, please tell your friends. Put your put the link in your Instagram bio. <laughs> sure. Uh, shout it from the rooftops. Hey. Hey. Mm-hmm. Listen to high floor, low ceiling. Wow. Could you tell I was on a rooftop? It sounded like you had fallen off of your chair and you were no. struggling. No, I, who can struggle when listen to high floor and low ceiling? So, yeah, sure. tell your friends. Tell yourself, most importantly. Tell yourself mm-hmm. that you love yourself yeah. and that listening to high floor, low ceiling makes you better. Yeah, self-love. Uh, you can follow Griffin at GriffinPorter97 on Twitter. You can follow me at C House and Jan. That's chow like the food, sun like your male heir. And Jan, like Michael's boss in the first boss. few seasons of, of The Office. His erstwhile girlfriend, Jan mm. Levinson Gould. A, a compelling character, I always thought. Her downward spiral was really a good, a well-executed arc. Yeah, that's she's one of the more realized characters on The Office, yeah, I would shout say. Shout out to Melora Hardin, a great performance. Mm-hmm. I listen to Office Ladies Pod a lot. Ah, shout out to Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey as well, then. Yes. And the Earwolf Network at large. Yeah, who I believe will be joining any day now. Yeah, we're, we're pitching it to them. We are a comedy podcast, ultimately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's going because to do Because these it. takes are laughable. Sure. But that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, until next time, keep your floors high and your ceilings low. Bye for now. Nice. That was lit. <laughs>